0: Give ear to the reading of God's word, Matthew 6, 9 through 15. It says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. So let's pray and ask him to teach us his word, that he might uh, teach us to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us your word as a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Uh, thank you that you even give us so much instruction in your scriptures about how we are to draw near to you in prayer. Lord, we, none of us, are good at prayer. We all uh, are lacking in it. We ask that you would, even as your disciples asked your son, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Uh, teach us even now by your spirit for your, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, We are going through line by line, request by request, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and we are up to what's called the first petition, or first request in the Lord's Prayer, and that is, Hallowed be your name, or Hallowed be thy name, if, you know, we're all used to praying it in our heads according to the the King James Version. Now, uh, that it doesn't in, I don't know if there is an English translation that puts it clearly as a request, as, as the way we would normally read it. When I was growing up, I've said it a number of times. When I would read it, even in the King James, it always sounded like a statement of fact. Our Father who art in heaven, by the way, Lord, in case you didn't know God, your name is hallowed, you know. I didn't, I never understood it was a request, a request until much later in life. A a clearer way of rendering it to make it uh, clear that it's a question or a request might be something like, let your name be hallowed. Or may your name be hallowed. And so this, first request in the lord's prayer as simple as it may seem to us it sets the tone for the rest of the prayer it sets the tone for the rest of the lord's prayer the hallowing or revering of god's name as holy is to be the first and the primary request of god's people when we pray i don't know about you but i'll speak for myself that's probably not how most of us pray at least not most of the time if, if nothing else, it doesn't come naturally to me. Maybe it doesn't come naturally to you either. The first thing that comes up in my mind when I'm praying is, you know, I get a bad case of the give me give You know, God, I need this. God, I need that. And I, I jump right into that very often without thinking of God's glory and His, the glory of his name. That's not how we naturally pray, most of us, but it should be. It's what Jesus teaches us here in the Lord's Prayer, something that we're very familiar with but we lose sight of. I think, very often. Puritan writer uh, Thomas Watson calls this first request, quote, the first and great petition. Remember the great commandment? Which commandment is the first and great commandment? He calls this the first and great petition. It contains the most weighty thing in religion, which is God's glory. A.W. Pink writes, this petition necessarily comes first, For the glorifying of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things, the ultimate purpose of all things. All other requests must be subordinate to this one and be in pursuance of it. We cannot pray aright unless the glory of God be dominant in our desires. Listen to that last sentence again. We cannot pray aright unless the glory of God be dominant in our desires. Now, if that's the case, I think it should be said that many, maybe all of us, often to fa- we often fail to pray aright. How often is the glory of God and the glory of his name dominant in your desires? How often is it dominant in your thoughts? It's not very often dominant in my thoughts. In all honesty, I have to think about it. I have to remind myself of things like the Lord's Prayer to get my mind right in that regard. And so we must make sure that we're rightly understanding this You know, very brief request, seemingly simple request in the Lord's Prayer. We have to make sure we understand it rightly and pray according to it, that we might pray according to the will of God in praying for the glory of his great name and seeking that first before other things. In his little commentary on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the English Puritan writer Thomas Vincent, he kind of unpacks, he goes through the whole Shorter Catechism and he unpacks uh, the lord's prayer which the catechism also does and he unpacks this particular request hallowed be thy name by means of three simple questions they're, they might be the questions that came to your mind as you were thinking about the prayer they're very logical and so this morning we're going to follow his lead in asking those same three questions in order to understand this first request of hallowed be thy name and the first question that we have to answer here is And maybe this question doesn't occur to you naturally because we think we know what it means, but what is meant by the name of God? If you're going to pray that God's name might be hallowed, what are we we praying about? What does it mean? What What is meant here in this request by the name of God? The Shorter Catechism Question 101, 101, says this, What do we pray for in the first petition? Answer in the first petition, first petition, which is Hallowed be Thy Name. We pray that God would enable us and others to glorify Him. Here it is in all that whereby He makes Himself known, and that He would dispose all things to His own glory. So when we speak of God's name, we're speaking of all those things whereby He makes Himself known. In other words, it's more than just literally His name, or even His names in the plural. The scriptures have a lot of names for God, a lot of titles for God, and this includes all those things. You could say that the name of God stands for God and all that he is, just like, in a sense, your name does. When someone says your name, they're not just it's not just some random abstract concept. They're referring to you and all that you are and all that you do. So God's name stands for God, all that he is, and everything he uses in order to make himself known to us. Question 54 of the Catechism, it's about the Third Commandment, which forbids, what's the Third Commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What says there that God's name includes, quote, his names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. So it's not just the name, literally. It's everything by which God displays his glory and reveals himself to people. So his names, titles, attributes, those are his perfections, his ordinances, his word, and his works. So when we think of the name of our God, we have to learn to be mindful of his glory, and his glory in everything by which he reveals himself to us. So his names, I won't go through a list, I probably couldn't compile them all if I tried. His names in scripture are to be revered and honored, set apart as holy, and treated as holy. His titles How many titles? We just prayed one in the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, the just judge of all the earth, the Holy One who inhabits eternity. All these titles are to be held in high esteem and reverence. Use them reverently. We are not free to add to, subtract from, or change the names or titles that God himself has seen fit to use of himself in his word. There are some who try to do just that. They try to imagine God as something else and call him something he does not call himself we don't have the right to do that just as you wouldn't let someone else try to drop a new name on you that you didn't accept or weren't born with we don't get to choose God's names or his titles he himself alone can do that we have to be mindful of the perfections or attributes of our God and must revere him in those things as well for those are the things by which he reveals himself to us In scripture, when God says, for example, He is holy, 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 the only attribute we know of in scripture that's that's repeated three times and it happens twice, right? Isaiah 6 verse 3 and Revelation 4 verse 8. When God tells us He is infinitely holy, we must revere Him for His infinite holiness and not seek to change that or downplay His holiness. When He reveals Himself as love, 1 John 4 8 says, God is what? Love. We must revere him for his, for his love, just as we do for his holiness. When he reveals himself as immutable or unchangeable, Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not, what? Change. God does not change. He's not like us. He's not like a, not like a man that he should lie or change his mind. God himself does not change. Uh, we must revere him for that as well. All the attributes of God that we find in Scripture, all the things that the Bible tells us about God, that he's the just judge of all the earth, all these things, that that he is eternal and infinite and unchangeable, these things we must, we must learn to revere him for those things because those things describe something about God according to his word. We are not free to change or add to the names and titles of God in scripture, so we're also, we have to have a holy reverence for all of his perfections that are found in scripture as well. We have to learn And this is harder than it it might sound to you. We have to learn to take God as He is. We need to take God, accept God, worship God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture, in all of His perfections and attributes. We have to resist the temptation to try to think of God in some other way, lest we dishonor His name and be found to be committing idolatry. That's really what it is. When you try to imagine God as something other than what He actually says He is, What we're trying to do is we're trying to, you know, what does it say? God formed us in his image. We're trying to return the favor, which is not a good idea. We're trying to make God in our own image, make a God that we're more comfortable with. Many still do such things as that today. And that is idolatry. That's worshiping a God of our own imaginations rather than the one true and living God. We also have to show reverence for his, quote, ordinances, word, and works as well. That's what it means to to hallow the name of God. That means his statutes, his sacraments, his scriptures, and his sovereign works of his all-wise and powerful providence. All those things we have to revere if we're going to revere the name of God rightly. His providence, whether he gives or takes away, must be considered reverently as well. In our worship, we must seek to please God first and foremost rather than ourselves. We have to contend ourselves with what God has commanded in Scripture regarding His worship. How often do we think of worship and think, this is what I would like, even if you don't think those words. We think, I like X, Y, or Z. I would prefer X, Y, or Z. And we don't think, what does God want? Has God not revealed in His Word how we are to worship Him? We don't get to add to it or subtract from it. All these things are what is meant by speaking of the the name of the Lord our God. We pray for his name to be hallowed. His name stands for God himself and all that he is and all that he does. So I think we can see that his name stands for a lot more than just literally his name. What's the second question that we need to have the answer to to understand this first request rightly in the Lord's Prayer? The second question is what does it mean to hallow? What does it mean to hallow the name of God? We've seen what what is the name of God, what does that mean? What does it mean to hallow God's name? That's a, a strange sounding word probably to most of us. If it weren't for the Lord's Prayer, and frankly if it weren't for the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer that we're so familiar with, we might not have this word in our vocabularies at all. I can't think of a single other instance where I would have used it if not for that. The word hallow... For hallowed be thy name comes from a Greek word that means to sanctify. It comes from the word holy. It comes from the the word that means to sanctify or to set something apart as holy. And so to hallow the name of God is to sanctify the name of God or set it apart as holy. We set a lot of things in our lives apart as holy. We might not use the word holy. You You have your good china when 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 people you love or 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 good relatives come over when you want to impress someone you break out the china you don't break out the uh, the paper plates uh, we have in our house a special plate for people's birthdays it says you are special on it that's another way of saying you're 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 holy this is a special plate for a special person on a special day or a special occasion same idea only in God's case it's much greater much more magnified So when we hallow God's name, we sanctify it. We don't make it more holy. It already is holy. But we sanctify it in our use and set it apart as holy. This is the the same thing that's taught to us in the third commandment. Third commandment is Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name, the name of the Lord your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There's another sermon. I won't go into it too much, but what does it mean to take God's name in vain? According to the shorter catechism, that commandment requires and forbids certain things. It requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, word, and works. It also forbids all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known, especially his name. We don't misuse God's name. We, we hold it in high reverence and esteem. Do you ever... Do you ever take God's name lightly? Have you ever taken God's name lightly? Have you ever used God's name in such a way that it does not show it the holy reverence that it deserves? Many people use God's name as a profanity. I would guess there are other words, I won't obviously refer to them here in the pulpit, but there are probably words that when someone says, it makes your head turn and you go, whoa, not not around the kids, earmuff the kids. But how often do we hear God's name taken in vain in public and we don't bat an eye? How often do we use God's name like that and not bat an eye? Some people use God's name just casually or irreverently. That's just as bad as using it as a profanity if we think of God's glory rightly. This should not be the case. Now, you and I, you know, if if we were to come up with our own Ten Commandments, I'm guessing it would be much different. Our list would be much different Uh, than the ones that are found in Scripture in in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. You might even think to yourself, is taking God's name in vain that big of a deal? Do we really think of it that way when we think of God's will and God's commandments? But think about the wording of that commandment that I just read. What does it say? It says, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He doesn't just give us the commandment. Many of them, you know, thou shalt not commit murder. And it doesn't have, you know, a, a reason appended to it. This one does. It's almost as if God knew, of course, he knows all things. He knew we'd be we'd be apt to take it lightly. We would hear it and go, eh. And yet, what does he say? For the Lord, why why should we not take the Lord's name in vain? What does it say? For the Lord your God will not hold him, guiltless who takes his name in vain. What's he saying? Is he saying that it can't be forgiven? No. What he's saying is that even taking the Lord's name in vain is a sin worthy of hell. It's a sin worthy of God's just judgment and condemnation. If someone never sinned in any other way, even in the heart, which none of us can say we've we've not done that. But let's hypothetically say there's a person who's never broken the other 9 even in the heart. They've never lusted, they've never hated someone, they've never had other gods before God, they've never broken the Sabbath, they've never, you know, never coveted. Who could possibly let's say for giggles Someone could say they've done none of those things, even in the heart. We would love to have that person as our neighbor. We would, we would think of that person as the holiest person we've ever met, and they probably would be, right? But if they've taken the Lord's name in vain, even in their heart, what does Exodus 27 say? They're, they're worthy of hell. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's how highly God esteems his names, that's how highly we as his people, especially, should, should revere his name. The glory of God's name is to be foremost in all things, especially for the Christian. If you're a believer in Christ, what does 1 Corinthians 10.31 say? The apostle Paul says there, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? Do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, that's a pretty broad category. Anything you do can either glorify God's name or fail to glorify God, even eating or drinking. In fact, Paul, that, you might hear that if you hear that verse in a, in a vacuum, you might think to yourself, eating or drinking? Well, Paul actually talks about specifics about that very thing in that very chapter, eating, eating meats that were offered to idols. It, it's possible to eat or not eat in a way that glorifies God. How we respond to God's all-wise and perfect providence in our lives can bring glory to God's name or fail to do so. Think of the book of Job. Think of the sufferings of Job. In Job chapter 1, remember Satan was going to and from the earth, I'm paraphrasing, and God volunteered Job. And God didn't volunteer Job because Job was bad. So when you suffer, it doesn't mean God's angry at you. It might mean just the opposite. It might mean you're doing well and and he's allowing you to be tested. But in Job chapter 1, Satan was permitted to stretch out his hand against Job's possessions. Job was a wealthy man. And against Job's children. Even his family was struck by the evil one. And what was Job's response in Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22? It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And what does he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Remember the whole point of this test. Satan was like, I'll get him to curse you to your face. His wife, Satan even used his wife to tempt him. Curse God and die. And yet he refused to do it at least at that point. Job worshipped, and then despite all of the loss he had suffered for God's sake, he blessed the name of the Lord. Job revered God's name even when everything came crashing down around him. He refused to dishonor the name of his God. Not only that, but willingly suffering for the name of the Lord brings glory to his name as well. Remember the apostles themselves in the book of Acts they were willing to suffer persecution and shame for the name of God, if God's name would be glorified through it. In Acts chapter 5, they were arrested by the Sanhedrin. You might remember the story. Arrested by the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. They were they were ordered to be beaten for preaching in the name of Christ. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42 says this, and when they had called in the apostles, this is the Sanhedrin, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Preaching was okay. Preaching in the name of Christ was not okay. So they had them beaten and let them go. It says, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then it says, in every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They were beaten for the name of Christ. They rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And then what did they do? They went right back to preaching and teaching that Christ is Jesus. Is the name of our God so precious to you and to me that we would be willing to suffer dishonor for it if need be? Is the name of Christ and the glory of his name so precious to you that you'd be willing to suffer persecution for it? For the sake of the glory of his name. To revere the name of God, we must love God. That's really where it starts. We have to love God if we're going to revere his name. It's a matter of fulfilling that great commandment that we are to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you would learn to hallow or sanctify the name of God, you must learn to love God. If we love God, we will sanctify His name. If we love God, we'll sanctify His word. If we love God, we'll sanctify His day. And if we love God as our Heavenly Father, we'll sanctify His will in our hearts as well and seek to do it and obey His commandments. It's really a matter of loving God. Just like you would when you are a child you know you know your parents aren't perfect. The older you get, the less perfect you see them as. And when you get older, you start sympathizing with them, right? When you're little, you, you revere your father and your mother. And you don't take kindly to somebody else saying something bad about them. Why? Because you love them. Well, in an even greater sense, we look up and rightly look up to our Heavenly Father in Heaven who is perfect and love Him and revere His name. Well, that brings us to the third and final question that we have to know the answer to if we're going to understand this petition and request Rightly, in the Lord's Prayer. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to pray that God's name might be hallowed? What are we asking? Helps to know if you're going to ask something. What does it mean to ask it? Once again, we turn back to shorter catechism question 101. It says, what do we pray for in the first petition? Answer, in the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray three things. We pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he makes himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. Notice it starts with us, doesn't it? If we're going to pray that God's name might be hallowed, where does it have to start? What are we really asking God to do? We're asking him, Lord, help me to sanctify your name because naturally I don't do it. Help me to desire to sanctify your name because on my own I don't. Even the want to isn't there on my own and on your own. We're asking God to enable us to glorify him in all things. And so let us learn to pray that our God and Heavenly Father might work in us what's pleasing in his sight by the work of his Spirit, that we might be enabled to seek the glory of his great name in all that we think, say, or do. That's what we're asking. Help me to glorify you in everything I think, everything I say, and in everything I do. Does that sound like a tall order? Yes, not a trick question. It, it certainly does. None, how many in this room are able, on our own, to even want to do that? None of us are. I don't, on my own, I don't want that. I want what I want. We don't even have the right desire. Such a desire for God's glory of his name has to be kindled by the Holy Spirit within us in the hearts of believers. Even such a prayer must come from the work of the Holy Spirit within us who believe. And for us to seek the glory of God's name in all things and how we live and speak and think, it comes naturally to none of us. And so that's why we pray that God might work in us by his grace to enable us to glorify him. That should get us praying, shouldn't it? Not only are we to pray for ourselves, it says we're to pray that God might enable others to glorify him as well. In other words, we pray for each other, that God would would give us grace to each glorify him as well. And also, I think this starts with faith and repentance. It starts with conversion to Christ. In unbelievers, we must pray that God himself might make uh, use of us to make his gospel known, the gospel of his son, that he would grant repentance and faith unto salvation to many people who are still in their sins, that they might learn to glorify his name by believing in the name of Christ. And following his will in all things which he has commanded us. That's the Great Commission, right? The trust in Christ to follow him to do all that he has commanded us. The last thing it says, we must pray, quote, that he would dispose all things to his own glory. So we're praying that God might enable us to seek his glory in all things. That He might enable each other and others to seek his glory. And then that he would dispose all things to his own glory what are you praying for when you pray that you're praying that god for the outworking of his great purposes in our lives and the lives of other people and even in the world around us We're, we're kind of praying ahead of time thy will be done in other words whatever it takes for your name to be glorified and hallowed and revered and sanctified make that happen even if that isn't something that is going to cause me convenience or comfort even if it, even if it means my daily bread is not coming as hard as that would be to imagine In most cases that's not the case. We should pray that god's glory the glory of his great name might uh, be what he makes all things work together for that that shows I think why this request comes first that's why this request isn't tacked on at the end. William Perkins writes it writes this he says now this petition. For the glorifying of God's name is rightly said in the first place, for God's glory is the absolute end of all things. You know, it, if this was Reformation Sunday, which it's not, we often talk of the, the so-called five solos of the, of the Protestant Reformation. What's the first one? Or really, I guess it comes last. It's the last of the five, but it's really the main one. Soli Deo Gloria, to God be all the glory. That's the main point of the other four. That's why the other four are where they are. That's why they have to be held to, that God might really be glorified in all things. May our God be pleased to teach us to pray and teach us to pray first and foremost for the glory of his great name. As Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray.